and thank you for listening to Let the Right Films In, normally your podcast on the IMDb 250, but as previously stated, it is hashtag Women in Horror Month, and we are thrilled to bring you our second installment, which actually might get put up after February ends, but it's all about the spirit of things. I'll do my best. <laughs> I am joined today by my host, Tyler Hannon. Hi, that's me. I and- forgot where we're editing this. <laughs> and my other co-host, Lauren Melisi. Hi. And we are here today to talk about Anna Biller's The Love Witch. Hey. Hi, I'm Trish. Hi, Trish. Well, what do men want? Just a pretty woman to love and to take care of them. Love me. Love me. What I'm really interested in is love. You might say I'm addicted to love. What is it, Wayne? What is it, baby? What a pussy. What a baby. Wayne. Witchcraft is just a way of concentrating energy. You can only work with what's already there. I just use sex magic to create love magic. (laughs) Sometimes it's almost scary how strong the love gets. And sex magic, of course. The Love Witch is a 2016 film about the titular love witch, Elaine, who has found an interesting way to deal with her trauma, which basically involves seducing men with love magic. And when they don't live up to her expectations, leaving them to their own demises or killing them. It's kind of, I don't know. It's kind of one of those gray areas where it's like, yeah, you could say that technically she didn't kill them, but she did feed them hallucinogenic drugs that messed with their hearts and whatnot. But it's also hard to feel bad for these dudes, if I'm being completely honest, on the rewatch. Mm-hmm. This is one of those movies that I think is often misunderstood, uh, played maybe to the wrong audience a lot, and a lot of critics are super hung up on trying to categorize it as opposed to just watching it. Yeah, there's a lo- <laughs> there are a lot of uh, adjectives and descriptors and comparisons used in describing this movie. And they really run the gamut of several decades, several different movie making styles. So I think before we start, we should set up a couple of parameters in which we're going to discuss the movie. So according to director Anna Biller, the movie is not meant to be a parody. It is not meant to be an homage to any sort of sexploitation film. And the movie is meant to be read with a feminist leaning. And I guess I would say as like a final note, there are comedic parts of this movie, but it's definitely not meant to be a comedy. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Lauren, what would you say that your first impression of this movie was the first time that you saw it? Um, I love it so much. Like so much. I, so this was given to me on DVD a year ago, and for and I don't know. I guess when a dude goes here, you would love this. Please watch it. Also, I know more about cinema than you, so I know all of the elements of it that you're gonna like. So you should totally watch it. Like I literally shoved it in a drawer, um, and put out put it off until you were like Lauren. I'm commanding you to watch this. 
And I like he was right, unfortunately. Like I it has everything I could ever want or need in a film. I love that it's like made to look like it's 1960s Technicolor. And I, I love the dreaminess and the 70s like vibes and her makeup, her eyeliner, her glamour. And then also like the witchcraft aspect. Like I'm just looking at my little altar with all my tarot cards all <laughs> like right next to me. Like it just had and then just like the, and then Samantha Robinson herself, like she's perfect in just every single way and the and like she's oh like her performance was incredible like i just loved it so much and i loved like i I don't want to call it campy even though it is but like that's kind of like the point i guess it's like a serious campiness if that makes any sense at all i think so okay but that that's like why like that's probably why i really really loved it just like the the dialogue and like the facial expressions and trish just going haywire it was all just so wonderful. Yeah, and I think for me that campiness very much is at least on, on the first watch, I kind of was not expecting it. And on the second watch, I decided that it's not so so much campiness as it is Elaine's like perfect facade. Because if you think yes. about it really, throughout 90% of the movie, she's acting. Like the only time- Same, it's like an affect. Yeah, the only time we ever really see her being herself is when she's kind of completely silent, <laughs> when she's making her soap, mm-hmm. when she's doing her painting. And I think that that's definitely one of those things that kind of went over people's heads. Because a, a really upsetting thing that I saw around this movie when it was first released was that quote unquote bad on purpose. And to me, this is not a oh. bad film. Like it's act it is so no. insulting to me. And <laughs> I can only assume, mm-hmm. you know, Anna Biller that people think that she was purposely trying to make something like silly or you know, comedic because I, I mean, to me, when my first impression of this movie is that it's super sad, you know, it's, it is. it's about this. It absolutely, yeah, is. it's about this woman who's looking for something that nobody will ever be able to or care to try to give to her. And I don't know, that's just that's the worst thing <laughs> that I can think of. Is to be mm-hmm. So ready to love and to give love and to not be able to find that anywhere in your life. Yeah, it's doused in melancholy, but presented in a way that is just so colorful and lively. It reminds me of Paramore's fifth studio album, After Laughter. <laughs> oh my god! I'm sorry. We have to, sorry, everybody. We have to cut that. <laughs> it's true. <though. laughs> just, gonna let, just gonna let it go. Just, um... No, but I mean, this, this is a film that is supremely gorgeous to look at. From and one of the quotes that I came across from. Anna was talking about how she made the movie for women and that when she was picking aesthetics and working on all of the stuff that, you know, she was thinking about what women want to see and what women fantasize about, because we also love to see beautiful women on screen, whether it's, you know, that we're sexually attracted to them or that we just, you know, we want to copy their look or their hobbies or whatever. And I think this film does a really good job of, you know, kind of keeping that female gaze, I guess, throughout because in my, like the female gaze to me is not necessarily about just subverting the male gaze and being objectifying men in place of women. (laughs) No defining itself by what the male gaze is. Exactly. And I think that this movie does a really great job of, you know, I want to see beautiful cake and tea and listen to cutesy music and want to copy this woman's makeup and all of this other, you know, it's it's just very aesthetically. (laughs) I want to play with tarot cards and make little soaps and stuff like that. I, 
I think if I had to pick a witch to be, soap witch would be like my preferred version. <laughs> like a mix of Elaine and Sandra Bullock's character from Practical Magic. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> when uh, else did that come up on the podcast? This is not the first time you've been described yourself because, as, I'd be a soap witch. It's, it's a lush cosmetics manager, but a witch <laughs> at the same time. That's what I, would, that's what I actually want to be. <laughs> but yeah the the story follow your dream (laughs) the story of this movie is super interesting as well just like from a technical standpoint because anna biller did literally everything herself she spent seven years in pre-production making really yeah she made all of the costumes she built all of the sets she composed a lot of the music um you know that pentagram rug she like hooked that herself which is insane, (laughs) insane in a good way. But um, imagine crocheting everything on your movie. Yeah, no. Oh my God. I literally crochet like one scarf and I'm done. So I can't even imagine the dedication and discipline it took to get through all of this because the the costumes and the sets are really, you know, the standout element of this movie that really brings us into this mishmash world of time periods and when a cell phone gets pulled out, that that just felt wild. It's I love movies that do that though. Um, the the other horror movie that I think of that does that really well is It Follows. Yeah, I saw that coming. Yeah, because uh-huh. well, it's got that great timeless feeling of this could be happening now, it could be happening whenever. But the thing that those weird songs. Yes, and what I like about the Love yeah. Witch is that while it's really drenched in this kind of past aesthetic, it's pretty well established that it's happening in the now, and I like that because it doesn't let the men off the hook because like you know mm-hmm. when you're watching old movies a lot of the time you kind of get into that attitude of like ah it's not like that anymore <laughs> these men are gross <laughs> and then you watch it like a mod like so to me it's important to know that it's set in modern day to remind people that like patriarchy still exists and is still shitty to women she that one yes. of the things i caught in one of her interviews is how she as when trump's election happened the reviews like very but very obviously shifted to actually uh recognizing that this is a thing that people still deal with in 2017 and it isn't some curio of like 1960s nostalgia the other comment that she brought up that i felt pretty strongly about was noticing that the subject matter made people so uncomfortable like having to deal with the fact that despite the fact that elaine is kind of in the wrong, she's also not entirely because she's a product of her circumstances. So people find the subject matter so intimidating that they just start to talk about all of the pretty costumes and the sets so they don't have to deal with the actual themes of the plot. Because like when you get down to it, Elaine is a woman who has suffered abuse throughout her entire life. She specifically mentions in the intro that she still deals with intrusive thoughts despite intense therapy. And that's like, I don't intrusive thoughts is one of those phrases that like as a person who has been through abuse and who goes to therapy regularly like I'm familiar with that but to hear that in the opening of just like a movie that is widely viewed and received is kind of strange and I agree I also think that trauma shapes so much of her character because you have her father who you know taunted her about her weight and it's I think implied sexually abused her but I cannot say murky on that. And then her husband obviously was abusive. And then she ends up with this string of guys who are also shitty. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. It's just one of those interesting facets to like think like that. I think a lot of people either didn't want to think about or wanted to pretend wasn't there because they wanted to have this like comedy, whatever. I may cut this out, but I just saw black Panther today. And I definitely in my mind drew parallels between Michael B. Jordan's Killmonger 
and Elaine in that they're not, they're like kind of the bad guys, but you're on their side. You're like, they're kind of right because they were uh, chewed up and spit out by the world and it, the world at large kind of ruined their lives. Yeah. I think that's a fair comparison. Yeah. This is another movie, like like when I watched Memento, I didn't expect to find anything triggering in it. And so, so there was just one, that one specific moment when she's, you know, laying in her bed and those quote intrusive thoughts are coming through. And when the the father tells her she needs to lose weight and, and then the ex-husband is like, oh, you lost all this weight. Your body's so hot now. Um, I had an ex, an abusive ex, say that exact same thing to me. And it it just hit me so hard, and it's that's such that's like such an amazing part of like that movie where she's just laying there and she's just thinking of all those things. That is exactly how it is and how it goes and how it feels. Um, and I appreciate that there's just so much honesty in this film, and especially like in regards to like what it means to be a woman or woman identifying. And I think that's like I think that's hard for people to kind of like digest and like actually like talk about because it's uncomfortable. Honestly, yeah, it's uncomfortable. And I, that's a really good point. And it's one of those movies where I, I thought that that scene was super interesting because it's kind of implied that she is appears to be like masturbating throughout it. And I read a really yeah. interesting article in preparation for this about how abuse survivors are more likely to express hypersexuality to kind of deal with that traumatic experience. And I think Elaine is that to like the nth degree because her entire life is about constructing this male fantasy. I think Griff calls it creepy Stepford wife thing. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think that this movie has a, a great political undercurrent that is much more worthwhile to discuss than like the cute costumes and the great sets as much as I love to talk about those things. <laughs> and I don't know, it, it makes me uh -huh. really sad because again, I think that there probably is a guy out there who would match Elaine, but because she's so caught up in this, you know, this desire to appeal to the manliest man and to be, you know, the ultimate fantasy that she doesn't ever have a chance to kind of branch out and find that guy. And I think it's really telling as well that a lot of her problems with the men that she ends up, you know, disposing of or ignoring finally is that they become like women, <laughs> according to her. Mm -hmm. She makes several uh -huh. comments about how it's ridiculous. And, and I think that that speaks so much to her trying to, you know, find that protector figure that she never had where like I think straight up right in the beginning with Wayne, she calls him a pussy and says that, you know, nobody ever held her when she was at her worst. So like, why should he get the same treatment? You know, she's looking for somebody to provide that safety net for her. She's like seeking the male ideal, but the male ideal doesn't actually exist. Mm -hmm. It's like just a, it's like this idealized concept that men and women, everybody has in their brain or has been coded into them by society or entertainment about what a man is supposed to be. Uh -huh. I actually think uh, I found the Trish character super interesting and kind of brought some of the backgrounded uh, political stuff to the forefront. Just watching how she reacts to Elaine, especially in their first conversation, using very specific words like uh, the patriarchy. I was still processing what the movie was going to be because I did not know. I hadn't seen the movie before. And so I was learning what it was about as it was <laughs> unfolding. And I, that, that, that character, um, I think confronting Elaine with those ideas and the audience with those ideas kind of acknowledges that 
those are important to what the movie is saying. And also that, yes. that Anna Bilner is very aware of them as she has been creating this movie. I guess I thought in that scene that I expected Trish to kind of agree with her when she was saying that, you know, the kind of the, the point of life, like is to love and like make a man love you and give him his fantasy. Like I was really surprised to hear Trish go, you're brainwashed by the patriarchy. <laughs> And so yeah, like the fact that the fact that Anna Vilner and herself was just oh, like aware, like oh, like all of a sudden I was like, oh, the filmmaker's aware of the character, and oh, okay, so this is all, oh, okay, cool, yeah. And then I was like, so this is what the movie is going to kind of be about, okay, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's a great kind of gimme to people like me who love to watch movies and like with feminist intention, I guess is the best way to describe it. And I think that if Elaine is meant to be kind of crystallized into this ultimate fantasy that Trish is very much the every woman who's like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, what do you mean? The goal of life is to make men love you. Shut up. <laughs> and for dumb people like me, it helps me realize, oh yeah, the filmmaker is smart. She like these things I'm wondering about. Yeah. She's way ahead of me on these. Anna Biller is quite literally one of the smartest writers I have ever encountered. Yeah. It's, super intimidating yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it makes it like i when we were preparing for this episode it was one of those things where i was like to say all the right things like just in case because like i really like i respect her so much and i think that similarly to karen kusama her vision is one that's often compromised by critical impact or by you know just complete misunderstanding of vision mm -hmm. because she had a similar experience with her first feature film viva which is about uh, basically a bored housewife in the 60s who's super sexually frustrated and her husband is gone all the time and she you know speaks up about this frustration and he's out the door so she decides to take part in the quote-unquote sexual revolution only to find that the sexual revolution continues to be about men and their pleasure and the exploitation of women and that's another one of those films where people are like oh it's like very technical and it's very you know soft porn pastiche I think is what I saw about a hundred times and all of these really pandering reviews which uh, man that has to be like having read only some of her work and some of her comments about what she's seeking to do that is like the exact opposite of what she is aiming for yes and i think I that imagine how frustrating it is to read that yeah and i think that with that informed view of you know what her first film is about it's it's even easier to look at the love witch as you know kind of a feminist statement on what sexual liberation means for women uh -huh. <laughs> because it most certainly is not building yourself into a fantasy version for men like uh -huh. there's no liberation in that absolutely well, there's also no foreplay in the in that sex scene like and they just went right to like doing it i thought that was kind of like very very telling like it's just like it's, it's just like it, it's like it's not about me it's about giving the man exactly what he wants and just like letting yeah so you're you're right in that there's nothing liberating in what she's like trying like to do, but at the same time it's just a victim of circumstance and like her self worth is wrapped up in this, and it was almost really weirdly like healing to watch her like kind of watch everything unravel for her when she starts to realize maybe not maybe not but then but then we think we think she's gonna have some big like grandiose revelation at the end and then it just ends up getting real sad yeah so. well and that's so another thing that i'm curious about your opinion on lauren is mm -hmm. the whole scene in the super twin peaks burlesque bar <laughs> <laughs> um when she's with gay and, and barbara her you know her coven mates or whatever you want to call them um, they go on this whole spiel about how the true power of women lies in her sexuality and how we have to, you know, kind of trick a man into 
understanding us by having sex with them. And the first time I watched that scene, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. But the second time that I watched it, I felt, I don't know, just really depressed about it because like, Uh to me, I don't think that the true, like the, the most powerful thing about me is my ability to use sexuality. And also I think that that's what contributes to Elaine's uh, entire demeanor is this weird version of witchcraft that appears to be run by a man. That's what I was going to Yeah. (laughs) And it it just, it's, it's, it reminded me of like a very liberal version of feminism where they're halfway there, but they haven't quite gotten it. So like I'm inter- preaching female empowerment. In the meantime, it's this creepy, grimy dude who's yeah, telling yeah. them how it works <laughs> and also straight up gropes her at their little meeting later. Super and kisses yeah. her pelvis. Like, yeah. what the fuck? That seems to be how they greet each other. But apparently. it's what, like, but like, if you were a dude trying to get a sexy oh. lady cult together, that's exactly what it's you like, do. So I'm curious about like your reading of that. Lady <laughs> well, I'm curious about like your entire reading of that scene because the first time I watched it, I was halfway on board. And the second time I was just kind of deeply unsettled by it. So from like a super, super personal standpoint, as someone like who is a trauma survivor and is like trying to rebuild her relationship with sex and sexuality, I had to watch, I had to like rewind, like watch that again and rewind and watch that again. So on one hand, it makes a lot of sense. On the other hand, I don't know if it's really about using sex as a way of like, like I'm going to wrap my legs around you and like, and keep you forever. That meme. And I feel like that's the whole theme of the movie is that, is that meme. But I don't know. It's on one hand, I I can, I kind of agree. And then on the other hand, it's just like, not really. I mean, all of that like fades really, really quickly. Just like like this, like sure, like you're, it's like a smoke screen of like sexuality and everything is really fun and exciting and like sexy at first. And then like, okay, like now they're interested. It's not, it's not, now I have them hooked, but like not really. Like that's probably like for like in my opinion, just like the the thing that like fades the quickest. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's kind of hard to explain. No, I get it. It's like if you are only using sexuality to build your relationship with somebody, you're not really building a partnership. You're building yeah. a sexual relationship, which is a different thing. I, yeah, and like and like uh, Griff says it. Our, our fun detective says that, and exactly like in like, towards the end of the movie, he's like, "Yeah, it's all nice and great at first, but like the more like she actually starts to love you, the more you're like, no." And so I thought that was really interesting that scene where she's talking about like being in love, and he's talking about like how like love is actually bullshit. I was I thought that was so wild to me. And then while like the little mock weddings going on, it was the, I'm like, how many men actually think that? Yeah. That's what I was sitting there. Thinking. And I think that that difference in their opinion of what's happening is so heartbreaking too, because she's really sitting mm-hmm. there, you know, thinking that she's finally achieving this fairy tale ideal that she's wanted her entire life, and it just is not true at all. Mm-hmm. I also found that interesting because it was very painful to watch, but I also think in the way, in the heightened nature of this movie, it is also making much more explicit those two very opposing ideas that I think are very common in men and women, but Mm -hmm. almost never stated or even thought or conceived of quite as concretely as it is in that moment. So Mm -hmm. it's another one of those moments where the movie gets much more, specific and how in it's uh like i guess the conversation the relationship it has with the viewer it's being much more overt and not uh, 
I don't know the right word for it, but like educational. I think it. I'll, I'll jump in here because the the funny thing about the script was that when Anna Biller was writing it, she says that it turned into more of like a feminist thesis, and she kind of had to scale back and rewrite it to actually be a story. So I think that moments like those are kind of where that, um, you know, that critical thinking is coming through. Those ideas get much more explicit mm-hmm. in moments like that, like mm-hmm. the conversation with Trish, the 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 mon- like the. I don't know, monologues, the conversations they have with themselves in the wedding. Mm-hmm. And I think another interesting thing is that the like warped version of witchcraft that's in this film, I, the first time I watched it, I thought maybe that Elaine like didn't really care. Like I thought that maybe Elaine wasn't trying to, you know, be a part of the coven and that she didn't really care for the rules. But on the second viewing, I kind of thought that Elaine was like the only one who was embodying that true, like, witchcraft spirit she separates herself from a lot of the stuff the coven is doing she's kind of at a remove yeah well and i i mean looking at it i can totally see why just the look on her face every time that gay and like is near her Mm -hmm. or talks to her and even when she's talking to barbara because i think that barbara's kind of that she to me represents that girl who's kind of bought into the boy club nonsense and is just kind of acting out a role so that she can be, you know, like the most important. She's the cool girl. Yeah, exactly. She's very yeah. much the cool girl. And I think that Elaine is like kind of like the true cool girl and that she is not involving herself with this weird pagan guy thing. Which makes <laughs> Elaine even more interesting. <laughs> Separate from the coven, she seems to have bought into these ideas that are espousing. But she, when she's with the coven, she seems on her face and in her body language seems much more removed from them and much more skeptical of the things they're saying. And I find I found that fascinating and couldn't quite rectify it. Not that those things can't be like individually true, but it just makes her a more complex character that I've tried to I think get a hold of. Yeah, I think for me that that actually kind of reminds me of my experience with like punk music, I guess, because it's this thing that you desperately love and that, you know, you like there are a lot of albums I would like in my younger years be like, oh, this saved my life to be a part of this or whatever and to listen to this. But as you grow older and as you become more involved in the community, you realize it's actually full of very bad people and that it's not a healthy environment. And so when I was watching this, I kind of felt that because there I still engage with music a lot but I don't engage with the community. And so I think that that is where she's coming from, where she loves witchcraft and she does credit it as saving her life, but she doesn't want to be involved with this weird version of, you know, community that she kind of has to be a part yeah. of if she wants to get the adjacent benefits. I love that metaphor. That <laughs> yeah, that is, that is a great fucking metaphor. <laughs> but yeah. And hmm. I don't know, Lauren, what, uh, do you have anything in particular that you wanted to talk? Oh, actually, so um, now that I'm thinking about it, Lauren, I know you mentioned your tarot cards in the beginning. And as someone yes. who's always been like super interested in witchcraft, but obviously growing up in a religious household, I was not allowed to mess with that stuff. <laughs> I'm just curious, like how far into that stuff you mentioned that you were, you wanted to talk about it a little bit. So, uh Oh, God. Okay. So I was raised Catholic. Um, and it's funny because you'll see that a lot of like reformed Catholics or like ex Catholics are just super into ghosts and spirits and shit. Cause like no one takes exorcism seriously, more seriously than the Catholic Church. There's a section on the Catholic Church, like official website, where like if you need an exorcism, click here and like fill out your complaint and they'll send a priest over. But uh, so that have kind of evolved into I don't I don't know, I feel like I identified as a Wiccan for a while, but like I, I just I just call myself spiritual. I know I have poet witch in my bio because um, I, I do dabble. I do you know I have my tarot cards and I have my 
you know, my crystals and I, I guess it's not, it's not a crystal ball. There's like a big fancy word for it, but I have, I have like nightshade and like a little bottle and like herbs and all the, and pentagrams and stuff. But I also do like some of the spells that like take place, like in the film, like I absolutely do burn things and put them in a pot and like boil stuff and um, so there, there's so watching her do that was pretty great. But what real I cringed every single time the whole like love spell thing was mentioned because if if in reality and to most some people listening they're gonna be like like sp- spells are not reality they, they can be done at IRL okay the whole thing is you you don't do love spells like you don't do them because when you do something when you do something harmful it comes back to you times three and love spells are a type of harm so. To me, going into this, I knew every single time the love spell was not going to work at all because it's not, it's just, it's not real. It's not real love. It didn't surprise me that it drove Richard to suicide or that the first dude just like up and died. The in, And I'm, I wish you all could see like my finger quotes. <laughs> I've been finger quoting a lot while I've been explaining this. <laughs> but um, in reality, it's it's just like love spells are the one thing that you don't do because they are not real and all. They only have negative harming and self-harming effects. So it was kind of hard. Like the whole time I'm like, I'm like, well, this movie is not going to end well at all because this is just sabotage, self-sabotage and like ruining everyone else's life in the process. I, ugh, ugh. <laughs> it's one of those things interesting that I noticed too that there are three kind of victims, I guess, in the main plot of the film. And I wondered if that was maybe on purpose since, you know, witchcraft is normally done in threes. And the other, uh, and that what you do comes back to you like threefold. I thought about that when she is, you know, trying to curse Trish to make her crash before she gets to the police station. And I wondered if maybe that is like a a foreshadowing to Elaine's end basically, because if you think about it, like what happens as Uh she crashes, like, you know, off of her pedestal or whatever, I don't know. Maybe that's reading too much into it, but I thought to me it was very like, there was a lot of threes structure throughout the movie that I think set up this horrible, tragic end for her. Mm-hmm. So the, the idea of the love potion or love spell is a very familiar one. Like I've listened or read or seen so many different stories that have that same premise. And they oftentimes generally go the same way, which is the person gets too obsessive and it becomes like a, like a, a chase thriller or whatever. Um, and I don't think I've seen one quite like this though. So even on that like novel, mm-hmm. novelty level that this is a fit, like a, a base premise I'm familiar with, uh, that it was executed in a much more artistic and, uh, languid way. And that it doesn't become this, you know, murder chase thriller where people were obsessed with her to the point of literally chasing her. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really like that. Uh, like in the craft. Yeah. And I think that that's, yeah. I, I would like to think that Elaine is a smart enough witch to, even if she's using like bad or forbidden magic to be smart enough to make it so that, you know, she's not in any danger because she's, if it doesn't work out, then it doesn't work out. She doesn't want to be dead. So it's just <laughs> such a good idea. The idea of the men actually have more emotion and when forced to 
the fact that it doesn't create uh, the love or obsession in them. It Her spells are bringing out the emotion that's already latent in them and forcing them to deal with mm-hmm. it. And the, that yes. there is so much of it and that's the thing that destroys them is such a fantastic idea. And whenever yeah. we find unique or interesting or somewhat novel ideas like that, uh, it is so much fun to watch them explored. Mm-hmm. It's just, ah. Well, so the movie great. is partly about the dis- that disparity and how different genders express their feelings. And, you know, when you're traditionally aligned with womanhood, you're, you know, you're kind of trained to view yourself as like illogical or crazy or over emotional. And on the flip side Mm -hmm. of that, we have men who are told that they aren't allowed to have emotions or that they have to repress them to be manly. And I, I think that Griff is kind of the perfect example of that, obviously, because he talks about how love is bullshit and it makes you weak. But also I think that, deep down inside of him that maybe for a second he does kind of want to have that even as he realizes you know elaine's true nature and how you know she's planning to kind of trick him into it because he does punch his fellow detective in her defense he would have been the most self-destructive <laughs> of all if he had reached the yeah. end path of the other the previous two had reached yeah for sure mm-hmm. but yeah and i think that you know the The other thing in this movie that was really interesting and kind of upsetting to me is that, you know, that almost to last scene where they're, they meet up at the burlesque club and Griff is telling her that like the gig is up basically. And she gives this great speech about how, you know, all of her life men have taken from her what they want and they only care about her when it's a means to an end to use her body and how witchcraft saved her and how she uses witchcraft to take what she wants from men and not the other way around. And it was, incredibly striking to me that the first thing that happens when she, you know, finally declares that out loud is that the entire, like the entire reaction of the male club goers is to try to attack and rape and murder her. Like that's their first impulse when met with a woman who wants to do to them what they do to women. As soon as she made the subtext text. I'm, I'm really glad that, that an actual like rape scene did not happen because I was probably going to shut my laptop. Yeah, no. I uh. Sorry, I should have warned you that that was not going to happen just straight up because I from what I, everything that I've read of Anna Biller's work, she does not appear to have any interest in, you know, depicting that on screen or for uh-huh. any reason. <laughs> okay. I mean, like, I I was also surprised by that, but like on that, I I I, I figured they were just going to actually physically try to set her on fire. Tbh, I thought that was where it was going to lead. I would say, in my opinion, if we're viewing this as like a modern day witchcraft story, like that is the ver- like that is what I would consider, you know, like a modern witch burning. Like back in the 1600s, they sent. Instead of death threats or other threats, well, that what the, yeah, well, what the, I mean, if you think about it, what women, the reason that women were put to death for witchcraft is because they were sexually empowered. And more and more in the modern age, we see that the way that, you know, that men like to punish women for being sexually empowered is to try and take that from them. Mm-hmm. So, in my opinion, it, it, it makes sense narratively, but I'm also glad that it didn't actually happen. Yeah. Because I think that that would have kind of ruined the female gaze aspect of the movie. Because I have never met a woman who like specifically wants to see that plot line play out. Yeah, yeah. I found it interesting how the 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 witches were like a known a big known part of society, or like a and how it's 
layered throughout that people are very leery of them and don't mm-hmm. really like them, but merely tolerate them and how that um, their uh, obviously latent hatred and uh, vi- like feelings of violence toward them explode at the end. Um, I, I like it was another one of those things I felt was building in the background, mm-hmm. and uh, obviously we see it explode in that yeah. moment. I think that that's one of those things where like people like to pretend that they're progressive and open minded, and then like when actually confronted with you know their like nightmare version of the thing they're supposedly afraid of, their first reaction is to freak out. <laughs> but um, yeah, the thing about witchcraft, I guess, is that. In my opinion, witchcraft is kind of the essence of femininity in a way. Like, it's very much a part of, you know, your entire uh, experience as a woman in a weird sort of way because was something that we were accused of (laughs) all the time many generations ago. And so I think that a lot of us take up an interest in it to kind of connect with our, like, female heritage, Yeah, (laughs) I guess. And I think that, yeah, and I think that this movie does a really good job of walking that like respectful balance of, yes, she's goofy and she does love spells, but also this is like a serious religion that a lot of people take very seriously. It's empowering for me, honestly, even to like do a tarot reading for someone or for myself or to, so I actually buy spells that are already made and that have all the ingredients so I don't have to do what she does in the movie and like slave over it and like pick stuff (laughs) from the ground. But just just the act of it, like let's let's go ahead and say like it, it's not real and there's no such thing as magic. I feel empowered after I do it. Um, so there is so there is there there is something to it, especially like as a woman making it happen. Yeah, and I think that even if you don't want to call it like mystical magic, I think that you know that feeling is yeah. magical in and of mm-hmm. itself. Yes, absolutely. Um, also, so this is like a, this is sort of going off of that topic, but I can't get out of my head. I should probably mention this, like at the beginning when you were saying like, this is not a parody. I, then one of those articles you sent, I really can't believe that James Franco likened the, likened the acting in this movie to that of Napoleon Dynamite. I could literally strangle James Franco and be a hundred percent satisfied with that. (laughs) I mean, so that's, so that's exactly the kind of audience that women filmmakers are dealing with like when we're trying like when we're when they're trying to make movies for women to enjoy and to empathize with it's turned into this uh, fucking i just comments like that like i can't even imagine like even like i don't know it just seems to me so insensitive to watch this entire movie and then to say something like that <laughs> mm-hmm. like this movie is like a meme yeah and it's like it's not like this is Weirdly enough, something that many, if not all women, could easily empathize with, you know? Yes. And I don't know. I just think that it's so strange that we have this entire film community dedicated to appreciating the experiences and traumas of men. But the minute you try to make a film that is slightly outside of that parameter, it must be a joke, you know? And it's, I it's very upsetting. <laughs> yeah, it is. And of course it's James fucking Franco has yeah, who has no right to say anything. But also if he real if that was really his honest opinion after watching it, he clearly missed the whole point of the film. Um because because the way like the acting is like it's it's purposeful and I don't think it's like and there's anything funny about it necessarily. Like um I think maybe I laughed at 
the exchange right before right i think right before uh the other detective got punched i laughed at some point during that exchange other than that i didn't really laugh at all throughout the entire film yeah i think i laughed at that and then i laughed when elaine tells trish that she's back in the dating pool oh yeah <laughs> and that she should have no. known it wouldn't work out because he's a pisces oh yeah 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 that i just nodded solemnly <laughs> I, was like, I was like yeah <laughs> rookie mistake I enjoyed how she was eating cake uh, as um, Trish was telling her. But if she found who the woman was, she'd tear her apart. And Elaine just becomes very interested in the cake that she's eating. Elaine's cake eating uh-huh. is actually something that stuck out to me throughout the movie that I appreciated because I was like, okay, cool. So no matter how like warped and hard of a time she's having, she is at least able to eat cake. Because like <laughs> me... Well, yeah, well, and it sounds silly, but, like, eating junk food is kind of one of those, like, weirdly subversive, rebellious acts as a woman. Just because, uh-huh. like, you know, you're supposed to be looking like, like, and Trish does that. It's funny because she says that Elaine is the one who's brainwashed by the patriarchy, and yet she's the one who won't eat a slice of cake and will only drink a tea with no cream and sugar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's, like, to me where I'm like, okay, so she's she's in there somewhere. Like, if she had more time, maybe she could, you know, work through this and become – like more healthy, I guess, like mentally. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, th- I think that's part of one of the main themes of the film is that like she could, and <laughs> and how she distances herself from G- Gayan, and even at the end when she, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think it's one of those <laughs> things, too, where she kind of decides to live in the fantasy. You yeah. know, Annabelle brought this up in one of her interviews where she said that most girls do grow up with this fairy tale ideal and they play, you know, Sleeping Beauty and they wait for their Prince Charming or whatever. And then when they get to be teenagers, they find out that mostly what men want is to have sex with you or rape you. And so it's a really hard thing to, you know, come to terms with when you've spent your entire childhood being fed this kind of fantasy about how your life should go if you're like doing things right and so i think for elaine you know that final scene is just like you know fuck this i did all of this it wasn't good enough i still almost was you know raped and possibly burned at the stake fuck this dude like fuck everything like i'm just gonna go live in this fantasy world and it's gonna be better yeah and i think that it's so tragic and i think that that's another reason why i'm like i watched this movie and i felt very somber at the end i did not feel like i had just watched a comedy and i don't understand that reaction mm-hmm. i feel like it's almost like a detachment like because i've seen um, a lot of men have told me that they found it funny whereas women have told me that it like either a empowered them or b made them cry um so i feel like for a man finding it like to be a comedy it's just a detachment of like well i know there's a lot of truth here but i'm not gonna think i'm not gonna think things about my feelings what <laughs> yeah, no exactly. this, this woman is having feelings for two hours goodbye oh my god also speaking of it being two hours one of the things when you know when the when i was gifted the dvd it was like the note was just like this movie goes on for a half an hour longer than it should and i disagree completely Oh, oh man, I yeah, I don't agree with that at all. Oh, oh, I like, think it's exactly as long no. as it should be. People who talk about yes. any reaction from any any person who that says the movie plays like a comedy in because of the affect, um, it just makes me think they haven't watched a lot of old movies besides you know like the mm-hmm. go-to hitchcock that's whatever. how old movies that's like how long mm-hmm. they are. I say that as someone how who has not watched it. a lot of that myself. I just grew up with public like you know with public television i don't have cable or whatever so i got a lot mm-hmm. of old tv shows and movies playing on mm-hmm. tv channels and i 
don't even know how many I watched or which ones I couldn't name them, but like even just a basic familiarity, like kind of like educates you that this is a style or like, this is a traditional style or affect. Uh, it's not some kind of ar- like arch campy approach to filmmaking or anything. Mm-hmm. It is very, yeah, it's a, it's a classic style choice. And I think that yes. if we really think critically about it, a lot of great movies more great movies than are made now, I would say, are made in that style. So I don't know why you would want to diminish like somebody trying to work in that style today. And this is like a super mm-hmm. tangent a little bit just to go back to the, the running time. We're all about super tangents. Well, maybe it's not a super tangent, but so mm-hmm. Viva is also exactly two hours long. So and this is mm-hmm. a total reach, but just an observation. I'm wondering if it's maybe just like, a, okay, you are going to spend two hours inside of the mind and emotions of a woman. And I think it's very telling that a lot of men cannot handle that and think that it's too much. Yeah, I absolutely freaking agree <laughs> with you. Like, I have to live this all the time, dude. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sorry that you have to watch us have, like, real actual fucking feelings for 90 minutes. Like, try living with it. Well, and that's the thing, too, is, like, she's very much, like, she is a very realized character, despite, you know, still trying to mold herself to this fantasy. She has interests. She makes soap. She paints. She loves to bake cake. Which is why those moments that I feel like those people would want cut out because they extend the running time are important. They are kind of huge for character building on a very, like, low scale i would love to straight up just watch two hours of samantha robinson just like doing like puttering around as elaine i would love that (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) i'm super like yeah like like are there bloopers and can we watch that (laughs) i would be super into that i wonder if that's maybe on the blu-ray i don't know i've streamed it both times that i've watched it i just get the b-roll for this yeah i and i think that and it's sad to me because now that i'm thinking about it there probably aren't really just because um Anna has talked a lot about how making like physically making this film was very difficult because the crew did not get it and did not care to try and uh, I can't remember exactly which interview it was, but she, or no, it was on Twitter. She talked on Twitter uh, for a while about how making this film felt like being actively sabotaged every single day and like trying to, you know, keep control over, you know, the fin- the finished product and to have like competent shots and lighting and stuff was just so difficult. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing where it's like, no one would ever do that to a male director, <laughs> regardless of how like no, weird they yeah. found the film. Like fucking, I like that makes me think of um of of Kubrick and The Shining and how like he told the crew to be mean to Shelley Duvall and they totally were like yeah totally like sure whatever you say like we'll absolutely 150 percent make her feel like she's not even here and that her contributions are worthless so that she quote like stays mm-hmm. in character yeah. like yeah if a female director to like told her crew to do that they would be like no. That's me. Yeah, and to me, it's like the amount of abuse that women have suffered for "quote unquote" great art. Like Kubrick is a super the perfect yeah, Kubrick shot. and Hitchcock are great examples of that. So the fact that like a woman just trying to get the correct lighting can I just work? Yeah, exactly. Like, so you're literally uh-huh. gonna tell me that you grew up like masturbating to these films where dudes were literally trying to murder their actresses on screen to get the right shot, but you're not gonna set up the camera right for this, like. Come on. <laughs> and Scarlett was was it um what actress just I was Uma Thurman who talked about um the car accident that she was in an actual actual car accident for the sake of um for Kill Bill. Oh my god. For Ter- for Kill Bill. Yeah, that's like I don't understand that. 
I don't get that I at think all. That it comes down to a, a path, like an almost pathological desire to harm women, as like depressing as that sounds, especially in the case mm-hmm. of a filmmaker like Tarantino, who has made it very clear that objectification and fetishization are like his things. <laughs> also, also, like maybe mm-hmm. not too far from the fetish- fetishization of just method acting, mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah good stuff yeah i just think it's it's interesting how we're willing to give such a wide berth to you know male directors and we talked about that a lot with like in the car and kusama episode where it's like you would never let this happen like this career trajectory would never happen and i think that there's a lot of similarities between Karin and anna just because i mean they're both japanese american filmmakers and they both have kind of had this like not i don't want to say stunted but they work really hard sabotage career yeah i mean anna biller's last film came out in 2007 and then she had to spend like eight years hand sewing all of the costumes for her next film. Can you imagine like that happening to any male director? Because I certainly cannot. I cannot neither. Daniel Day Lewis does that just for fun. Yeah, you know Daniel Day Lewis. He's <laughs> one of those guys where I'm just like, can you just go have a beer? Just calm down. He broke his ribs from sitting in a wheelchair too hard. Like, come the fuck on, dude. Like, it is not that goddamn serious. Acting is cool, but it, okay, that's a whole other tangent. But I just Daniel Day Lewis like stumbles upon our podcast, and he's like, "Whoa, guys!" Like Daniel Day Lewis would never listen to a podcast unless he like literally played a podcast host or something. <laughs> he's like, "I guess I'll listen to this one about the love witch." <laughs> but yeah, um, uh, yeah, it kind of sounds like we're a little bit winding down if we're getting into Daniel Day Lewis rants. So. <laughs> Who found a Daniel Day Lewis? <laughs> so Lauren, I'm here. I ruined things. Do you have any final thoughts or tangents that you wanted to explore while we're on mic? Let's look at my notes for a second. It's they're all they're literally all caps lock. My notes um, are all like, this is sad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> One of my notes. Oh, worst murder scene slash murder like cleanup ever. Like DNA everywhere. She literally. <laughs> literally she her she bottled her dna she didn't consider it murder he died of natural causes yeah that's like the ah. funny thing like, i was thinking that too but then i'm like he did die of natural causes and she was just burying him according to her religion so i'm just like it's one of the things where i'm like you fucking idiot but i'm also like i guess i yeah sure okay ah. <laughs> i love the whole scene though because she's burying him and she's just like about how sad she is that her cat died the entire time. Like she, he doesn't matter at all. And she also I love just that. left the extra urine there on the on the counter. She did not give a fuck. <laughs> Actually, you know what? That is what I want to talk about. Elaine's indifference to the men breaking down in front of her is legendary. <laughs> her facial yeah. expressions and her ability to just like put on this mask and be like, "Oh, babe, I'm poor so baby." Sorry. Yeah, like when she's when Wayne is being a fucking asshole and talking about how like smart women are never hot and hot women are never smart and she goes, "That must be so hard." And like just the way she says, "I'm like she's going to fucking kill him." Yeah, she's so she's so good. <laughs> yeah. She has yeah, she and- has such personality. I took I took a note of that him saying like women who are bright are like homely and don't arouse him like go fuck yourself oh my god that is thing. dudes say that I know and th- there's this that that reminded me of yeah and that reminded me of the whole like oh well women who women writers are usually ugly like there's no thing as like a hot novelist like a hot like I'm like and I'm like what so like and, yeah or like or like te- teachers are not supposed to be hot like like stuff like that like ah. 
Uh, to that, I would say, have you seen Lauren Malisi? <laughs> <laughs> I was not thinking of myself I while was. I was going on. <laughs> thank, thank you, thank you, thank you. It just, it really bothers me, though, that, like, men really, like, as Tyler said, yeah, men really do think that and have those ideals, and I don't understand how society has fucked us that hard into having that thought process. It's like they continually want to compartmentalize us just to make it yeah. even harder to exist. We can be attractive and smart and, like, literally fucking everything. Fuck you, Wayne. <laughs> well, and that's the thing, too, is, like, I think a lot of people come away from this movie thinking that Elaine's a real dum-dum, but, like, she's very intelligent. <laughs> like, regardless yeah. of how you feel, like, she got out of her abusive marriage by poisoning him. Dope. <laughs> um, <laughs> drove across the country to start a new life for herself awesome she like found this life affirming you know religion slash practice like i she is so smart and like the only like in my opinion the only reason that like she even like the the, the movie ends the way that it ends is because that's how she wants it to end you know if she yeah. really wanted to i think that she could have gone and driven away again and started over somewhere else but i think it was just so much for her that she decided it wasn't worth it anymore yeah yeah, and I, you know, I and I really thought I was really expecting some kind of like turnaround ending and a lesson being learned, and I'm really glad it didn't end that way. Because in reality, like it's it is an endless cycle of everything that happens in the film, and it just loops, and there is no like, oh well, maybe one day everything will be different. Like, there's no that doesn't happen in real life. So I'm glad it ended with her just having that sad fantasy. Yeah, and I think that a lot of times people forget that movies can have sad endings. Yeah. People always want this neat little bow, and I am, like, contrarian to the point where I just love movies that are like that. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's also it's so hard to end a movie. I've noticed that, especially in the horror genre, and in the, in the like, or, like, we'll go horror-thriller genre, They most of them end so poorly. It, but it's hard. It's hard to end a movie, like, the right way, and, like, and you could say there is no right way. But I'm glad that this movie, the ending to this film felt natural. All the events leading up to the end felt natural. Yes, for sure. Um, so I was very, I was very grateful for that. Like I hated the ending of the invitation. <laughs> Sometimes so. that like, and that's the problem I think with the entire, like with the horror genre is that you kind of have a choice where you're either everybody's like, your choices are pretty much everybody dies. You have one survivor and then you have to kind of leave the viewer wondering how they're going to deal with that, which is what I like about, mm -hmm. um, this is really off topic, but what I like about the Scream franchise is that, you know, you have an entire franchise about her dealing with it. Yeah. And I feel, I guess like now that, you know, that I'm realizing, I think I just want every film to end with the final girl because I'm biased <laughs> as shit. So never mind. My opinions are invalid. Everyone disregard. Okay. All movies can end with the final. We could, you know, we don't necessarily know that Elaine dies. So we could, if you really wanted to, you could interpret it as her final girling. <laughs> Yeah, I want to see. I want to see Samantha Robinson in like a Halloween style like movie, like for real. For sure, I really hope that she's going to end up doing more acting because I think that she is, you know, gorgeous and has a real, I don't know, style about her. She's just super fun. I follow her on Instagram and I love her. <laughs> I just started following her. I'm like, where have I been this entire time? <laughs> but yeah, all right, Tyler, do you have any final thoughts on this? The music's really good. <laughs> the music is really good. 
That's all I got. I just wanted yeah. to say the music's good. <laughs> I love that in I the last it. fantasy scene, they're like playing the music, but nothing's happening. Like that was the other part where I was like, oh my God, she's so sad and broken that like even the me- dream music is gone. Like <laughs> it's just really heartbreaking. It's a really heartbreaking movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It really is. It's so pretty. Kayla, any final points? Oh yeah. Uh, I don't know. My final points are kind of like... Good movie. Yeah, it's a really good would movie. Would watch again. I would watch it again. And I think that it's a movie that like I would hope that a lot of people who, I don't know, maybe you watched it before and you didn't think it was all that special. Maybe you could take some of these critical thinking notes and watch it again and think about it again. Because I think that, again, someone, I just said again like a hundred times. I think that people got so caught up in the hype around the color and the lighting and the costumes and stuff that they really didn't want to examine it critically as a film and i would just want people to do that Uh it's a boring take to have about this movie (laughs) (laughs) exactly um i'm gonna have tyler link a bunch of articles in the show notes uh including some really great writing by anna biller about not calling every movie that has a woman in it a feminist Uh (laughs) that unfortunately doesn't really fit into a conversation in this episode but i feel is required reading kind of Mm -hmm. (laughs) um so yeah thank you so much for listening to our women in horror month episodes uh next year i would like to do these again so if this is something that you liked let us know because i would love to do kind of these deep dive episodes where we just sort of focus on like careers and on a single movie rather than just like a more freeform discussion i guess i'm I'm all for deep dives i had a lot of fun like just listening to kayla like get all smart and like be like (laughs) let me tell let me give you the entire history of this particular director bam and i was like shit (laughs) hashtag love research But yeah, so if this is something that you like or you want to see more of in the future, we're totally open to doing that. I think it doesn't necessarily have to be for Women in Horror Month. Um, if So yeah, if you want to talk to us about that, you can find us on Twitter at LTRFIPod. If you have more than 280 characters to talk to us about, you can email us at LTRFIPod at gmail.com. You can check out our website, which is LTRFI.com. And if you could please rate and review us on iTunes, we are super into that and are hoping to be validated by your opinion. That's our kink. That's our kink. <laughs> yeah, we love uh, iTunes reviews as validation. Ma'am, I love. I only do iTunes love potions. <laughs> iTunes love. You know, we actually this whole episode was a subtle spell to get you to rate and review us. <laughs> it was. You said it. <laughs> no, it's okay. Now they'll have no. They'll have no memory of that. <laughs> <laughs> you did the annihilation. Wow. <laughs> <Well, so>. I- <laughs> okay. But yeah. So um, yeah. So we will see you soon. I don't think we have a an episode lined up yet, but we will, and it'll be cool. We have a couple of interesting things in the pipeline for later um the promised extensions on 2017 movies that are in the imdb 250 and yeah probably just some other fun stuff who knows whatever in your future. yeah whatever it is we'll see you next time and until next time we are none of us are going to see battle angel alita <laughs>
just saying if A24 loves film so much. I just think that they would be the logical choice, yes. Also, Anna Biller's next movie, if A24 loves film so much, make an, a- make an Anna Biller movie, you count. Hashtag A24 make Anna Kayla. Biller film. <laughs> Hashtag sweatshirt Kayla. for LTRFI. <laughs> No. <laughs> All right, let's get uh, our Lauren. Are you ready to start? Are I'm you ready good to, to go. I think yeah. I'm done yeah. now. I think, yeah, so you're ready. I think we've uh, covered everything. Fine, just fine. Yeah, leave, just I, leave. I wasn't supposed to be on this episode to begin with. Okay, calm down over there. Okay, I'm ready. <clears throat> God damn it! I hate when you do that. Don't make that face at me. Okay. <laughs> It's especially weird because Lauren can't even see the face and then be affected by it. Yeah, I'm just sitting here like, um, there's a deafening silence and I don't know what's happening. Poor sweet Kayla. She doesn't deserve your I torture. I know. It's Tyler. Women in Horror Month. Yeah, <laughs> okay. not not Tyler Hannon's in Horror Month. Tyler Hannon in Horror Month. That can be March, I guess. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm like, I, podcasts are fun, huh? 